0: I was standing directly in front of a structure that was full of evil spirits, and I had to destroy it. Totally true story. Stick around. Let's cue this episode up. Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Patrick Jinks. Each week, through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and professional speaker. And now, here's Patrick. People love a good story. And that's what this episode is about, the power of a leader's story. We love books, we love movies, plays, or just a good telling of a real experience around a campfire. People love stories, and for leaders, stories are critical. I think I learned this the most during my years with United Way because as we went around the community trying to influence people to contribute to United way, we would go into a workplace and make presentations to sometimes hundreds of people at a time, sometimes just small groups, but we would either tell a powerful story about some great work that United way was doing in the community or back in the old days, we would show a video. And the videos were produced by United Way of America, and they usually had some celebrity uh, emceeing the videos, and they would tell these heart-wrenching stories, usually stories that would draw a tear from your eye, to get to the donor's emotion. And if we could connect emotion with a cognitive case and rationale for why supporting United Way or whatever organization it is, if we can connect those two things, It is golden. And for many, many, many years, I got to say, I think United Way had a, had a corner on this market and just very, very powerful at it. But that's where I learned the power of storytelling, but storytelling for leaders has so many different applications. And sometimes it's the smallest, simplest moments that uh, create stories that help a leader connect an idea for a listener. Here's what stories do very quickly. Number one, stories make you real and relatable. People love the authenticity that comes with a story, particularly a story that comes from a place of personal experience. It's something that, that you lived through. Nobody can argue with it. Nobody can question it. Nobody can tell it any better than you can because it's your story. You lived it. Um, by the way, if you want a good example of this, the power of, of how a story makes you real and relatable, uh, go to YouTube and search Kevin Hart ostrich story, Kevin Hart ostrich story. There's a clean version and a not so clean version of this. Both of them are just hilarious. The way he actually tells a story. I don't know if this actually ever happened to him. Usually. Comedians can make the most of a story that actually did happen and maybe they embellish a little bit, but it's just a great story that gets you to really relate to the storyteller. So that's number one. Number two, it drives home a point in a way that nothing else can stories do things that frameworks can't do. And I believe in frameworks and models and uh, probably have a podcast on that sometime because those are powerful too. But there's nothing like a story. And for example, stories can take raw data and turn them into something that light people up, that inspire people. So that you're connecting both the cognitive and the emotional. Third, it establishes metaphors for important concepts. Now, in the coaching world, metaphors are very, very powerful tools. But these are These are used by any leader who can tell a story because a story somehow connects to the point you're trying to make. It's not that you're just out there telling a story. You're not here to entertain people necessarily. The metaphor helps connect your story to an important concept. Fourth, we've talked about this a little bit. It stories draw out emotion. Uh, A lot of leaders, They've got the strategy down. They know how to articulate the business plan. They know what the goals are. They can talk about them. They they can even talk about vision, but in a very dry kind of way. Stories draw out the emotional side. And again, when you mix the emotional side with the cognitive side, and there's tons of research on this, um, read, for example, uh, the book Switch by the Heath Brothers. Uh, where they talk about the elephant and the rider. <laughs> the rider is the cognitive side. The elephant is the big emotional side. Get those two aligned, and boy, you've got a powerful persuasion and influence. And fifth, uh, and this is just kind of a side product, but a lot of the people I coach have a little bit of difficulty with public speaking. They don't feel like going and giving a speech is the is the most comfortable thing for them. Storytelling makes speech giving so much easier. Is you don't have to memorize a story. You just have to tell it. It's your story. Now, in the beginning of this podcast, I referenced my encounter with evil spirits and uh, hinted that we would come back to it. And so we are. And at least I thought that they were evil spirits, which is what makes the story true. But let me go back and fill you in and tell you the whole story. I am the baby of six kids grew up in a military family. And when I was about, I think I was about in the first grade, we lived at Fort Benjamin Harrison in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I remember several things about Fort Harrison. Uh, I remember the tanks out in the, at, at, toward the front gate that my older brother and I used to sneak out at night and go climb up inside the tanks. They, weren't, they were not uh, functional tanks, but they did have the hole in the bottom that you could climb up into. And we used to go at night and sneak into them. The second thing I remember about Fort Harrison was this huge bathtub on the top floor. We were in a four-story officer quarters, four stories if you count the basement. And on the top floor was this, I think it was the top floor, this massive porcelain tub. I I just remember how big it was and thinking, of course, I was a first grader, so anything was big, I suppose. But I always thought, man, you could just dive into this thing and swim in it like a pool. It was huge. But the main thing I remember about Fort Benjamin Harrison was a traumatic event that occurred for me in that house. My sister and I, my youngest sister and I, the 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 babies of the six, had converted the basement into our personal playroom. And we would go down there and we were the best pretenders in the world. We had imaginations that would just blow your mind. We we could just pretend anything. We played Poseidon Adventure and you, you name it. We, we played all kinds of, of great things in that in that basement. And one of the things that I did, as most young boys do, is I built a fort in that basement. And this was not your ordinary fort. We, when we moved there, we kept all the big wardrobe boxes, you know, that are like six feet tall. And we had this huge, um, about the size of a a ping pong table, but just this big green plywood table. And I stood it up on its side and I got all those wardrobe boxes and other moving boxes and things that we had. And we had a whole collection of army blankets as you might imagine, being on a base and living in an officer quarters, you know, those army blankets were those itchy blankets that uh, um, don't feel real good on your skin, but they're very warm. Well, I had blankets and sheets and quilts and all kinds of things. I had a fort that had rooms in it. You, I mean, as a kid it had doors. You could, you could walk from room to room. This wasn't like a fort in a bunk bed. This was, this filled up more than half of this basement. It was massive. It was a masterpiece and it stayed up most of the time. And I played in it every single day. And so did my sister. So there's part one of the story. Part two of the story is that we were also, we were devout Baptists uh at the time and so mom and dad would pack up the station wagon and we would all go to church together very devout churchgoers and when my uh older brother and sister got old enough to drive they would occasionally drive themselves and so one sunday morning i get up i start getting ready for church and i'm in my bedroom and the phone rings And it rings and rings and rings and nobody's answering it. Now this is before voicemail. So your phone didn't just automatically pick up. We didn't have an answering machine. This thing was going to ring until the caller gave up or until the person answered the phone. Now, back in those days, you might remember this, but back in those days, you could, you could pick up one telephone in one room, dial your own number. And you'd get this like fast, busy signal. And if you hung up within two seconds your phone would ring and it would just ring. There's nobody on the other end. It was just a little trick that you could do with your phone. You could dial your own number, hang it up and your phone would ring. And so my older brother and sister, little did I know what they were actually doing, but they placed a phone call to me from behind the living room couch. I answer the phone in the kitchen. These are on uh, different floors. So I finally, because nobody answered the phone, I go walking through the house, and was anybody going to answer that? And and I finally decided I got to answer the phone, so I answered it. And my brother was on the other line, and he said, Patrick, oh my goodness, I'm so glad you answered the phone. I was afraid you weren't going to answer. I was afraid it had already happened. I said, you were afraid what had happened? He goes, well, here's the thing. We accidentally forgot you and left you there. Dad took the station wagon and and Carla and I took the car and we assumed that you were going with mom and dad. And I guess mom and dad assumed you were going with us. And it turns out you weren't with either one of us. So you're at home alone right now. And uh, we're going to be coming back in just a few minutes to pick you up and bring you to church. But, but, but there's something important you have to do first. And I'm already feeling a little bit nervous because now I'm alone in this four story place. And it was Sunday morning. So I wasn't too afraid. It wasn't like nighttime or anything. But then my brother began to tell me more about what was going on. He said, we're at the church and we're talking with pastor Eveland, which by the way, we revered pastor Eveland. He was like, uh, you know, a second father to us. I mean, he, if he, whatever he said, went, we, we really, um, adored him and, and respected him. And my brother, Mike said, we were talking to Pastor Evelyn a minute ago and he told us he had a bad feeling about the house. And we said, what do you mean? He says, is anyone at the house right now? And that's when we kind of figured it out that you were there alone. And we said, yeah, we, I, I think I think, I think think Patrick's there. Um, we're about to go get him. We left him there accidentally. And Pastor Evelyn said, hold on, um, there's a problem. And we said, what? And Pastor Evelyn said, well, I feel like the Lord is telling me does Patrick have a fort downstairs, like in a basement or something? And we were like, Oh my, like Patrick, I don't know how he knew this, but he knew about your fort. And so we told him yes. And he said, well, I'm pretty sure there are evil spirits in that fort and they are intending to come up the stairs and find Patrick. And, there's one thing that Patrick can do and he needs to do this and you need to listen closely. And so Mike is telling me this and I'm, now I'm just, I'm sweat. I don't know. I don't even, I can't describe how I was feeling at this point. I'm just paralyzed. I'm stunned. And my brother says, Patrick, here's what, here's what pastor Evelyn says. Now you can trust him and you know, this pastor Evelyn has a formula. He said, you need to go downstairs and stand in front of the fort. And you know, that song we sing at church a lot, rock of ages, And I said, you know, in my very shaky voice, yeah, I kind of knew the song. I didn't know all the words, but I knew the basic tune. And by the way, my family was a musical family. We grew up singing and playing guitars and pianos and things in church. So I was familiar with rock of ages. He said, well, pastor Evelyn said, you need to stand in front of your fort and sing rock of ages as much of it. As you know, you don't have to sing the whole thing, clap your hands and turn around three times. And when you've turned around the third time, keep singing. When you've turned around the third time, you need to wreck your fort. You need to tear it completely down. Every blanket, every wall, every box, every table. Don't leave one thing standing. And if you will do that, you'll drive the evil spirits away. You'll actually destroy them. If you don't do it, I don't think we can get there in time. Pastor Edelman said, if you don't do it soon, they're going to come up the stairs and they're going to find you. And you're not going to have any protection. And I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just horrified. I mean, you imagine I'm in the first grab. I'm, I'm totally terrified. I don't know that my brother and sister are actually in the house making this prank phone call from our own telephone extension. So I, 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 I literally worshiped my older brother and sister and pastor Evelyn. So I thought I, I try, I, I've got to do it. It's just, it's that simple. So this sort of childlike faith in, in the people I respected prompted me to go down the stairs and the stairs are squeaking along the way. And because it's the basement, it's dark. And it, for some reason, this time felt felt especially cold and damp. And I get to the bottom of the stairs and I peek around the wall and I see the fort and I can, I can literally feel these spirits. I I can almost hear them wailing and, and just making these siren sounds almost, I I could almost, I could almost hear them. I I, I can remember it in my head as if it were yesterday. And I just kept remembering them saying, you got to go, you got to do it. You got to do it. Pastor Evelyn said, you can do it. The Lord will be with you. And I go up to the front of the fort and I start very shaking in my voice and my hands and my legs. I start singing the only line of Rock of Ages I know. Rock of Ages, clap for me. Let me hide my zoom in. And I'm not even singing on tune at this point because I, I was so scared. And I sang it again Rock of Ages, clap for me. Let me hide my zoom in. And I'm singing with this high little kid voice. And I start to clap my hands. And I'm singing, Rock of Ages, clap me, clap me. My and I start turning one, two, Rock of Ages. And I turn the third time, looking over my shoulder, not wanting to miss anything. And as soon as I had turned that third time, I let out the greatest scream, this angry roar. And I launched into this fort with all of my might body soul and spirit i did karate kicks and elbow strikes and backhands and punches and more kicks and pushing and shoving and running into this box and that box and pulling down blankets and i mean i wreaked havoc on that entire fort that i had spent so much time building to this meticulous level And when it was done and I was convinced and and confident that I had torn down every piece of the structure with nothing else standing, I went running up the wooden stairs as fast as I could, bashed through the door at the top. And when I got there, there they were, the real evil spirits, (laughs) my brother and sister on the floor, rolling in laughter in the kitchen. Just laughing, laughing, laughing. It it took me a minute to even figure out what was going on. I I still hadn't put two and two together. I figured they had just finally gotten there from the church, like they said. Didn't know they'd been there the whole time. And I was very upset, so they pretty quickly calmed me down, told me that it was a prank, and they were in the house the whole time. There's no such thing as evil spirits, and everything's fine, and blah, blah, blah. But it was a traumatic experience for me, Uh, a wonderfully fun event for my brother and sister, by the way, and for the many people in the family that this story got told to through the years. It's a great story. Over time, I was able to come back to this story and put together the pieces, and I actually co-wrote a chapter in a book called Success Starts Today. It's a book curated and co-authored by Jack Canfield who is uh, the creator of chicken soup for the soul. So uh, he's, he's written this book. I'm in this anthology. I wrote the story and I, and this was the story I wrote. And my point was that sometimes you have to face your fears head on. That was point number one. The second point though, was oftentimes we're fearing things that aren't really there. We've, we've let ourselves become convinced of something in our lives. that doesn't even exist. And, How much, how much do we give away in fear in our lives? How many dreams do we let go because we're afraid and really we're afraid of something that doesn't actually exist. It only exists in our head. And so here's how I overcame that. I stood my ground. I had a formula I committed. I, I faced my fears and, and I told the story and, and very proudly, I won an editor's choice award for my chapter in the book for the power of the story. It's just a story. It's just something that happened to me when I was a kid. It wasn't until later I was able to take some concepts of it and, and draw analogies to real life, to pursuing dreams or to fearing things that aren't really there or facing our fears. But now, today, it's a powerful story. In fact, the story is so powerful. I told it one time in front of a coach who teaches and coaches trainers at the Center for Creative Leadership. This was back before I launched my coaching business. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, I've never heard, I've never heard a story like that. And we got to talking and talking and talking. And he said, you're really good at this leadership development stuff and your facilitation. And would you ever consider doing executive coaching? I'd love for you to work with me at leadership systems. You may have heard him by the way, Dr. Jim Smith is his name and he is, uh, he is the star of episode three of this podcast. As a matter of fact, if you want to go back and hear from him, but that story literally helped me launch this coaching career. That's how powerful a story can be. I gave a presentation uh, a number of years ago when I was still with United Way and it was a presentation in a community among high wealth donors where um, I was address- I was talking about how United Way there was addressing homelessness and I was in the zone. I mean, this is one of those times where you know how you feel. If you've ever given a speech or a talk or a presentation, you feel like, oh, I'm really connect- I feel really good about this. There's a good vibe, and the audience is is showing you that they're engaged and enjoying and, and taking in what you're saying. And that, that's what I felt like. I felt like I was kind of one of those times I was in the zone. And I decided to tell this story. Not this evil spirit story, but this story that I'm about to tell you. And it also happens to include. An army blanket and it also is about the same period of time maybe a little bit later I think I was in second or third grade by this time but we had a bunch of company over at our house one time aunts uncles cousins I don't remember who all it was but we had to bunk up and sleep on floors and couches and I remember bunking up on this little bed I swear it was a twin bed I don't, I don't know how the two of us both ended up on it but my oldest brother 10 years older than I am And I ended up sharing this bed and the only blanket we had because mom and dad had to spread all the blankets out among all the family that was there. The only blanket we had was one of these itchy army blankets that I talked about a minute ago. And those do not feel good on your skin, but it was cold that night and we welcomed any blanket we could get any warmth that we could get. The problem was that, uh, my brother David had the whole blanket. Like I I'm sitting, you know, I'm, I'm half his size And I'm, you know, my legs hanging out, it's freezing. I can't get blanket over it because David's hogging the blanket. So I grabbed the edge of the blanket and I kind of did what I call the tuck and roll, you know, where I just kind of rolled over with the blanket and started pulling some of it off him onto me. And as soon as I did, he yelled and he goes, dang, Patrick, you got half the blanket, man. And I, I think I was seven or eight years old and I, I turned over and I said, Hey, Einstein, I'm supposed to have half the blanket. And of course, everybody laughs. David laughed at the time. He goes, you know what I meant? I said, yeah, I know what you meant, but I'm supposed to have half the blanket. I don't want more. I just want half. I need my half. I get my half. All right. I tell that story at this presentation about homelessness. And I tell people that all we're trying to do is make sure that everybody in our community gets their half of the blanket. We're not talking about king-size waterbeds. We're not talking about silk and satin sheets. We're just talking about basically making sure everybody has their half of the blanket. No more, but no less. That there are people in our community who deserve half the blanket, who are supposed to have a home. The, The very basic in life is a place to call home. That's all. We're just trying to make sure everybody has their half of the blanket. So I took a funny story, applied it to this homelessness thing. Tremendous response to the talk. Yeah. You had to hear the whole thing. It was kind of all, you know, all put together. But after I gave that presentation, one of my colleagues came up to me and said, I just realized something about myself. I said, what's that? She said, I don't have a blanket story. I said, what? What do you mean? She said, I make presentations I have a framework I have concepts, but I don't have a story like that. I said, sure you do It's just life experiences. You just have to think about it. You just have to go back and remember times in your life when things happen to you. Tell a story. Just like you're at the kitchen table or you're at the campfire or you're telling a friend or, and she thought about it. And she said, I'm going to have to come up with that because I think every leader should have their blanket story. So I call it a blanket story now, or the blanket story really to make that point. And I think I took for granted the power of storytelling until that colleague came to me and said that, that they realized that was what was missing in their leadership, the ability to tell a blanket story. Now I don't consider myself a master storyteller, but I do use stories frequently and effectively because that's just the best way for me to convey a message. The thing about a story like I mentioned before is you don't have to memorize it, you just have to tell it. Even if you tell it a little bit differently each time. You know, the the words you choose are slightly different. I've told that evil spirit in, in the fort story uh, countless times. Probably not the same way. And when I'm telling it in person on a stage, I act it out. I'm kicking and screaming, I'm tearing down the fort. I'm making the most of that story. So here's the challenge for you, because this, this is a simple podcast episode about the power of storytelling. Ask yourself a couple of questions. Are you telling stories? Do you find yourself telling compelling stories to the people that you're leading or the customers or donors that you're trying to attract and engage and inspire? How much are you using stories? Think of three to five real-life stories in your life. This is this is an exercise. You'd have to sit down with a piece of paper and think this through. But think through several story, real-life events in your life. Think of some funny ones, some embarrassing ones, some scary ones, some deeply personal, emotional, <laughs> whatever. Just mix it up. Think of several events events in your life or around your life that you observed and you've seen stories that you've told people when you weren't thinking about telling stories. And now think of three to five key messages in your business that you'd like to convey to your donors, your customers, your staff, your board, your students, whoever they are. And then here's the question, what metaphorical or analogous connections might you make between a lesson from your story and the concept you're trying to convey. This is not rocket science at all. Uh, Most of you may not even need this, but I got to tell you, I coach a lot of leaders who need this and who say I have difficulty framing concepts in a way that's inspiring and compelling and I'm nervous in public speaking particularly this comes up when I'm coaching mid-level managers public speaking is a very difficult thing for a lot of people even leaders it doesn't always come natural for people who are in leadership positions i just wanted to to put this episode out to share with you you might be overcomplicating it think of a story Make it personal. Become real and relatable. Reach out and touch some emotions. Let people laugh with you and let them laugh at you if that's what it takes for them to really get the point. You mix that with the cognitive case that you probably already have and you'll find yourself inspiring people in a new way as a leader. That is the Jinx Perspective for this week. Next week is Thanksgiving. we going to have a brief episode about gratitude next week. So stay tuned. And then after that, well, we got a couple of amazing leadership coaches coming up soon. Lead on, folks.